Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. From iHeart Podcasts. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. A story about money, power, and corruption. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. I'm Paul Pringle, an investigative reporter for the LA Times. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcast or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you ask two people the same seven questions. I'm Mini Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including Courtney Cox, Rob Delaney, Liz Fair, and many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. Ridiculous History is a production of iHeartRadio. Welcome back to the show, Ridiculous Historians. Thank you, as always, so much for tuning in here in 2024. We have returned with a bit of a follow-up episode. Shout out to our super producer, the main man, Mr. Max Salton C. Williams. Shout out to the Hoover Dam. Shout out uh, to the Hoover Dam. Pretty good uh, echoes out there. You're gonna, you got you shot into the dam, and the dam shouts back. It sure does. Oh my gosh! I can I be called Salty Boy? Yeah, of course. Well, that's what we talk about salinity and stuff. That's, today? that's Max. That's what we call. That's what we call you uh, when we're just texting without you. I'm Ben Bolin. Here is the one and only Mr. Noel Brown. Tis I. And uh, as you may recall, ridiculous historians. When we when we did our a recent episode series about the Hoover Dam, one thing we continually return to is a, a, a strange, hmm, we could call it a fun little accident, sarcastically, that went on to change the Southwest. It's called the Salton Sea. And Noel, you have, have, have you been out to the Salton Sea? I haven't, but uh, I have seen uh, the movie The Salton Sea starring, uh, oh, geez, uh, Val Kilmer. Um, and it uh, the, the setting uh, is the Salton Sea. And it's very much the kind of Salton Sea that you also will uh, Salton Sea depicted in the Grand Theft Auto game. Worth it. Uh, it wasn't really, but thank I you. Think so. um, you know, there's that character. I think his name's Trevor. He's sort of the, like, the, he's a real salty dog. Uh, he represents sort of that kind of mess 
grethy sort of grizzled element in that game. And um, it is a, a an explorable uh, part of the map. Um, and it's not called the Sultan Sea. I can't remember what it's called in the game, but it very much is based on that. And it is sort of like this weird kind of creepy ghost town like it it was meant to be some sort of resorty kind of exactly but that's right they, yeah yep, exactly um but it is a very sad and scary place and that's also what it's like in the film but it didn't start that way and oftentimes you know when we see things like abandoned malls for example sure. or abandoned theme parks there's a certain extra creep factor that goes along when something that was once tended with care and and treated like it was going to be this beautiful thing for all to enjoy and then is just kind of abandoned but those remnants remain of what once was meant to be a place where children would play or people would water ski and hang out with their families and have picnics. Yeah, it's dystopian indeed and to be clear folks uh, when we're saying Salton Sea, we're talking about a specific place. We're not talking about salt and see that yeah, would be and I don't redundant. think salt has anything to do with it. I think the name no. is just a geographical, but it, it turns out that salt is a big part of the story. So it's very easy to, to make that mistake. Um, but I'm glad you you nipped that one in the bud right off the, <laughs> right. the rip. But we found out about this. Again, I think we'd all been aware of it, but from our wonderful tour guide at the Hoover Dam. Um, Hoover which was a, a, Yeah, that's right. Who was, a, 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 I believe, a, an employee of the, uh, uh, what's it called? There's a name of like sort Bureau of like of the, Land Reclamation Correct. And their job is to deal with watersheds uh, and all of that stuff and the way water resources are used in uh, the south southwest. Yeah, they don't care what happens on the East Coast. And uh, shout out to you, Hoover Matt, if you're tuning in. Uh, that was very clear in our conversations. The, the Sultan Sea is going to be familiar to anybody who lives in or around California. It is through pure accident and misadventure, California's largest lake. And we know that the basin has been home to a cyclical rise and fall of different bodies of water, pretty much due to the Colorado River's propensity for flooding. And the, sure. uh, yeah, and the, the Colorado River is, of course, what is harnessed by, by the Hoover Dam. Yeah. Yeah, and the, the Salton Sea was formed in its current iteration uh, pretty recently. In the grand scheme of things, back in 1905, Colorado River floodwater breached a canal. We mentioned this in the Hoover series and flowed into what was called the Salton Sink. That's It's like a, how a Pokemon evolves. It's the <laughs> Salton Sink when there's not water. It's the Salton Sea when the Colorado River has a bad day. It has reached its final form. Mm-hmm. So it's 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 a, it's a ground Pokemon with not water, but then it becomes a water water ground hybrid Pokemon. Don't talk about Pokemon with me around. I'll go. Mm-hmm. Well, got to get them all. I guess it's like two thirty eight on Pokemon Crystal one time, uh, the two fifty, and then the battery inside of it died. As an adult, I was doing this. Poke- by the way. Pokemon Go, by the way, is a uh, surveillance scam. I just have to well, say it. Yeah, no, but it's one of those things where it's just so fun. I, I willingly give up my data for the privilege of catching a. Uh, uh, I can't even think of the name of a Pokemon. Let's see, a Snorlax, uh, Charizard, a wild Snorlax in my backyard. It's there, just such there a delight. A lot. There, there are a lot of them, uh, and there's only one Salton Sea this time around. Historic evidence and geological studies show that the Colorado River has 
created something like the Salton Sea numerous times over the past thousands of years. The first lake to arise occurs in about 700 CE. And this this is because the Colorado River shifted its course due to silt, which is also, the silt is part of why the Hoover Dam was built. That's right. I believe that was called Lake Cahuila. Cahuila? I'll mm-hmm. go with that. Yeah, 700 AD. Um, and according to the uh, Salton Sea Authority, the present-day Salton Sea is that body of water that occupies the Salton Basin. Um, but to your point, Ben, there have been many that came before. The ancient evidence or, or geologic evidence of uh, the uh, moving shoreline um, does indicate that Lake Cahuila occupied that basin um, until just around 300 years ago. So people um, lived and died there. It was 100%. a permanent thing in their experience. Mm-hmm. And then from 1824 to 1904, the Colorado River starts to flood that Salton Basin. Um, and it happens, the flooding, uh, no less than eight times in 18. 18- 1940, for example, uh, floodwaters created a salt lake that was th- that measured three quarters of a mile long and about half a mile wide. And then in June of 1891, um, another overflow of the Colorado River um, created a lake 30 miles long and 10 miles wide. Oof. For everybody listening who is not in the United States, that is a big lake, (laughs) even without the metric system. Leave it at that. Yeah, 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 because we'll do anything not to use the metric system. And we want to give credit where it's due, want to shout out, uh, I I don't know about you guys, but I love learning about specific repositories of expertise and knowledge. So with great acclaim, we have to thank the Salton Sea Authority, which is a real thing and chock full, dare I say, overflowing with resources and research about um, about this somewhat unique erstwhile body of water there again gone again erstwhile on fargo you guys notice that you guys watch fargo whenever they do the next time or previously they say erstwhile oh nice because i guess that's sort of a a a midwestern kind of vibe (laughs) it's cool it's just clever. They, they, that show really pays a lot of attention to detail. And if you haven't watched it, the new season is pretty spectacular. Um, dare I say, very triggering for some folks that uh, deals with a lot of uh, topics and depictions of uh, abuse, you know, uh, domestic violence and such. So tread we're lightly, talking about, but it's we're very We're talking good. about ecological abuse. That's right. In this go. place. Like, like the, Do we have to the, talk about silt? <laughs> we got to talk about the silt. You haven't thought of the silt, folks. Uh, so it, it, isn't it true, Noel, that no one will ever know for sure how many times the uh, Salton Sink has become a Salton Sea. Like, I, I think we know it's at least eight times, but we don't know how far back this phenomenon goes. We we mainly know uh, the time that humans messed it up. Mm-hmm. That's right, yeah. And that was uh, specifically, you know, involving the Hoover Dam. The, the construction of the Hoover Dam, while a uh, fantastic uh, feat of engineering and, um, you know, the power of, of science to tame nature and harness, you know, the, the, the wilds of, of uh, planet Earth, you know, to the benefit of uh, humankind, uh, things can go a little wrong, you know, from time to time. There are byproducts and uh, uh, let's just call it uh, collateral damage can occur um, when such a massive undertaking is uh, uh, undertaken. Yeah, there we go. Love it. Yes, uh, because humans uh, humans can be accused of many things over the course of history, but 
they can't be accused of lacking ambition, even when they should. So these these heavy silt loads become an issue when the California Development Company says, look at this thing. Look at the inland valley. We could grow so much food here. All we have to do is sweet talk the Colorado River into feeding future crops. Come on, baby. Come on, you know you want to feed those crops. Yeah. In 1901, they start digging these canals from the river meant to go through the Imperial Valley. But again, uh, not to be too Dennis Reynolds here, they hadn't thought of the silt. (laughs) And just really quickly, if anyone doesn't remember from uh, high school geology, isn't silt just kind of very fine particulate matter that is carried by uh, river currents specifically? uh, and And it can, and of course, you know, form deposits that can, you know, clog up things mm-hmm. and, and cause all kinds of problems, but also move the uh, the location of shorelines over time. Yeah, uh, mud, uh, little bits of sand. Uh, this this agglomerates. You know, this is actually this similar to the reason that you can't put coffee grounds into your uh, disposal in your yeah. sink. Right? It'll be okay for a minute. Sure. But then over time, and I have had, I have died on this hill with roommates who swear it's fine. It's nope. not. It might be okay for even a couple of months, but if you keep doing it, it's just going to build up and like it gets ground more every time it gets, you know, you run the disposal. But that just creates this stuff that builds up on the blades and over time will eventually cause that thing to grind to a halt. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, so. These poor folks at the California Development Company, I'm kidding, they're quite well off. They uh they said, dang, it didn't it didn't work. We have to try to fix it somehow. And this led to a feedback loop of bad decisions and mistakes that ultimately led to what we call the Salton Sea today and later led to the creation of what we call the Hoover Dam. And Ben, really quickly, I just want to correct myself. I think I may have gotten order of operations a little off the mark a minute ago. It wasn't the Hoover Dam that caused this problem. The Hoover Dam was one of the solutions to dealing with this human-made issue that sprung up around uh, the Salton Sea from previous uh, attempts to dig irrigation canals from the Colorado River. Just so, yeah, it's it's the best Band-Aid that America could come up with. I mean, But it still did spring forth from issues surrounding uh, human intervention. Absolutely, absolutely. And the Salton Sea is different from a lot of other bodies of water in the United States and indeed the world because there's no real place for the water to go over land. It would have to evaporate. It's what's called an endoric lake. E-N-D-O-R-H-E-I-C. So because the waters in the Salton Sea have no, it's like a crowded uh, concert hall with no exit. Ooh, it's got to have those exits. Fire code, you know? They've got got no exit at all. These poor particles of water, at least they have no runoff uh, opportunity, which means they have two choices. They can either evaporate or they can sink into the ground. And this leads to a very high salinity level, a very high amount of salt in the Salton Sea. Mm -hmm. That's right. 
The California Department of Fish and Wildlife say that the Salton Sea um, has been maintained by irrigation runoff coming from the Imperial and Coachella Valleys uh, and nearby rivers since its uh, very formation. And that those salinity levels, those levels of salt, are uh, currently more than 50% higher than ocean waters, than the waters of the Pacific specifically. Um, And those levels continue to go up as time goes on. The salt in the Salton Sea um, is sort of the culprit at play here uh, regarding um, what we could, (laughs) with very little hyperbole, refer to as an ecological disaster. Uh, And we're going to get to that. But for a time, it was kind of awesome. Grand Canyon University's RN to BSN online degree program makes earning your bachelor's in nursing possible. Balance online coursework with local in-person clinicals to position yourself for potential leadership opportunities in the time you have from wherever you are. Leaving room for what matters. Achieve your goals with your personalized plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm preaching to somebody today who is waiting for God to give you your next step. And you don't know what it is yet. You need God to show you your next step. Because, God, I can't stay where I am like I am where it is. This isn't going to work. I I have to move on, but I don't know where. A lot of time you'll use it as an excuse. Well, I don't know how. I don't know where. I don't know what. God, if you show me. God, if you tell me. God, no, 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 no. You know enough right now. And if you needed to know more, he would show you. Hey, this is Stephen Furtick. I want to invite you to listen to my podcast, Elevation with Stephen Furtick. I am here to help you for the battles that you face in life, for the times when you feel discouraged, for the times that you need guidance from God. I want to give you the truth of what he says about you to help you rise to your full potential. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You know, it was like this, uh, uh, this oasis, like, uh, you know, a, a beautiful little uh, ocean, you know, um, a contained ocean that mm-hmm. didn't go off into the horizon that was just right there and, and therefore could be used for things like recreation. And Max, if we could, could we get some like retro as, you know, uh, maybe 40s, 50s resort music. Swinging. And, yeah. yeah. Picture yeah. it this way. A little, little laid back. So just use the music from the Adolfo sax episode. Yes. Just sweet saxophone yeah. right here. Yeah, Definitely. make it sexy. Uh, so, <laughs> so picture this. Someone says, Darling, I know the land on the coast is expensive for vacations, but we have a happening scene inland. We have a sea, you see, all our own. This was like a hot spot for uh, tourists, for people who own a boat, but honestly cannot afford 
marina fees in more expensive areas. That's a good point because it wasn't like, at, at this point, it was sort of a place for the haves, but maybe the haves not quite as much as the uh, mm-hmm. the top tier haves. You know, it was almost more like having a, a, a condo rather than like a mansion or like a, owning a timeshare rather than, you know, some sort of like beachside, uh, you know, uh, getaway, you know, for your summer home. Um, so it did uh, create this sort of community that was very attractive to developers. And that was also largely because those high salt levels, you know what happens when you've got salty waters, things float better. So people with boats were using it because it was uh, able to make speedboats go faster. And I believe there were some records that were set, you know, uh, using speedboats in in the waters of the Salton Sea um, during the first half of the 20th century. Yeah, it's more fun to operate a boat on this buoyant uh, brine. There we go. Uh, Too much alliteration, but we'll keep it. So (laughs) in the 1950s, the uh, California Department of Fish and Game gets into the mix and they say, hey, let's zhuzh this up a little bit more. Let's get people to come, not just to play around on their boats or to have a lakeside vacation. Let's also draw in the fishing crowd. So we're going to stock this lake, stocking a lake. This happens all the time in Georgia, which has no natural lakes as a state. It's a very weird fact, but you're welcome. Uh, the, uh, the process of stocking a lake means that you take a bunch of different kinds of fish that people like to fish for recreationally. You put enough in that even someone who's kind of bad at fishing yeah. is almost guaranteed to catch one. It's almost like those wildlife resorts where they have like penned in kind of deer um, that really have nowhere to go. <laughs> so it's it sort of lowers the sporting uh, quotient just a little bit. Like it's it's a little bit like uh, shooting fish in a very large barrel. It um, is. But, you know, it, it was it was popular. And also like deep, deep sea fishing is certainly more expensive. And you can't re- you can fish off a pier, of course, but you're limited, you know, in terms of coast, coastal areas where you can fish. Um, you know, for people that maybe don't have the money to, uh, you know, own a trawler or whatever the <laughs> the crap those things are called that can go deep sea fishing. So, you know, since this is a lake, you could fish right off the side. Mm-hmm. And this is where a guy named Penn Phillips enters our story. It's the end of the 1950s. And our buddy Penn is developing property. He says, look, this is going to be the next big thing. This happens all the time in real estate. People will take out of the way land and attempt to make it, you know, kind of like a a resort, a live, laugh, love, a little all in one area. And so our buddy Penn buys thousands of acres of land. He gets involved in speculation. He's also selling lots of land around the western shore of the Salton Sea. And he says, what I'm going to do really is I'm going to be like uh, Romulus and Remus founding this uh, great civilization. But Mm -hmm. this is going to be Salton City and it's going to be tourism. And I want people, basically what you want when you're building these kind of things, you want a a large traveling seasonal population, but you want people to live there year round. You want to make it good enough that it becomes like a mall people never leave. 
Well, you know, the, the West Coast of the United States is sort of seasonless, <laughs> largely. So, you know, the weather kind of maintains pretty pretty consistently throughout the year. So it makes a lot of sense. But this would definitely have been sort of a getaway, uh, could have been considered a getaway for folks that maybe lived more in the city, you know, more like in oh, Los yeah. Angeles or in the Valley, perhaps, or in some of the, the surrounding parts. Like a Tahoe. Uh, mm-hmm, uh, 100%. Or like, I, I think I hear Big Bear Lake oh, come yeah, up yeah, a yeah, lot yeah, yeah, as yeah. far as like a place that the people in L.A. like to vacation to. Um, um, but you you start to see the intention springing up uh, around this development, you know, with streets named things like Seaview Avenue and, and Sea Mist Place and all of these very evocative kind of names. And again, the, the, a lot of this information is coming from a combination of the uh, Kiri Pacone uh, article on that, all that's interesting, and the California Department of Fish and Wildlife. But um, so you start to see the groundwork being laid by Penn Phillips' efforts, um, and it starts to seem like this is going to transform into what he had envisioned. But then, all of a sudden, as though blessed with some sort of secret knowledge, Phillips ditches the whole thing. Mm-hmm. In 1960, and, and I, we don't, we, we still don't really know, like what tipped him off. Was he talking to, you know, um, e- ecologists and environmental experts, and he sort of probably got the tip that maybe this was not going to progress in the way that he had hoped. Yeah, I was looking at this, and and probably, although it's tough to assign motivation and prescience. It, there are a couple of possibilities. Maybe things just went upside down for him financially, very like sooner than he thought. Could have been uh, a coincidence, uh, and or it it may have been a situation where he got the amount of money that he wanted and then handed it off. Like he may have not known what was about to happen, but he, in either case, he ghost in 1960 and Sultan City kind of becomes a ghost, like those massive towns that are built on real estate speculation in the nation of China. There's, If you went to Sultan City after 1960, you would see uh, something that looked undone, like the developers in a video game had not quite gotten to that part right. of the map. There's like, a, there are a couple homes. There was a sewage system. They had, you know, as he said, they had the cutesy names for different streets, but it started to go downhill almost immediately because there wasn't new investment coming in. And this gave it that dystopian fallout-esque vibe that we were foreshadowing earlier. And and, and, to be clear, people were still living there, just not as many as Penn had originally hoped. And so if we fast forward to the 1970s, we get to the real ecological disaster. The bill starts to come due and uh, tourists don't love unpleasant things. No. And and, we talked about how the salt levels kind of were on the rise and all of the shoreline flooding was also on the rise. Uh, You had farm farming communities nearby. You know, I mean, if you go outside of L.A., you know, places like Modesto and, and, you know, a little bit further out from Los Angeles proper, it is super rural uh, and uh, a lot of farming going on out there. You know, things like oranges and and various crops, you know, avocado, whatever. But uh, they have to be fertilized. And there were times um, where regulations surrounding, you know, what kind of fertilizer could be used and how it had to be dealt with were not nearly as as strict as they are today. So you had a lot of runoff uh, from these nearby farms causing increasing 
imbalances in the kind of chemical makeup of the waters of the Salton Sea. Pair that with that rising salinity and you start to get these massive fish kills with like sure. fish bone skeletons kind of piling up on the shore. Um, a lot of those fish that had been stocked, um, you know, the various species, I believe including, let's see, we had uh, croaker, corvina, yeah, yeah, something like, I think uh, sargo, I'm not a fish scientist, but those were several of the species, they just began to die off. And it was only, I think, a few of the more resilient species that even stuck around at all. Right. And uh, this included some endangered species like the desert pupfish. Uh, coupled with this, there are a number of biblical level storms. Uh, the, if you had a resort barely holding on, guess what? There's an act of God coming your way. It's not in your favor. So a lot of people were forced to pull out because the numbers just weren't working as an investment. If you if you fast forward now, you'll see, as you said, just a, a few very resilient fish species surviving uh, for now. The, the, and, the noble tilapia, for and, example. <laughs> and just yeah, and just like the just like the marinas a few years back. These things are barely holding on. This gets even worse. In 2003, there's something called the Quantification Settlement Agreement. Shout out to the California Department of Fish and Wildlife if you'd like to learn more. Its street name is the QSA. Basically, it's a covenant between states that share the Hoover Dam and the Colorado River. And we know California has historically been the... um, the least favorite state in in this agreement because they tend to use more water than the originally agreed amount or limit. And we also have to say in California's defense, it is a country all its own. Like if you look at the GDP of California, it's a huge country. Oh, yeah. You know, it's it's quite unique in that regard. And for a long period of time, Everybody just sort of made do and they said, okay, we'll figure it out next year. We'll keep kicking the can down the length of this dam because Nevada and Nevada and Arizona never used their full uh, quota of water. So people were just sliding the uh, leftover to California. But problem is not every place out west is like the Sultan uh, City idea. There are thriving, huge populations, huge cities that in some cases you could argue should not exist. Sorry, Las Vegas, but shout out to you. Just slap there in the middle of the California desert, you know, by the mafia. The founding of Las Vegas is fascinating, as we discovered when we were out there uh, not too long ago. But all of this to say that this QSA, um, imposes some pretty serious water conservation measures that ultimately have the unintended consequence of drying up the Salton Sea. And in doing that, uh, again, I'm not uh, a water expert here, but it caused the salinity to rise even further um, as the sea was drying up. And I'm not quite sure why that is. Um, maybe Matt or, uh, or, 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 or Max, you have an idea. Yeah, so what I got through the research and I mean, shout out to the California Department of Fish and Wildlife because the write up on this is very long. It's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. If we, if we did the write up alone, it would be like an entire episode. But basically, the gist of it is there's a ton of there's a ton of salt in the Salton Sea, but the water getting dumped into the Salton Sea is fresh water from the Colorado it. Yeah, River, it dilutes it. so it dilutes it down. But so as 
California was getting less and less water because, you know, Nevada and Arizona need more, sure. less water going to the crops to run off. And there's, there's parts about becoming more efficient, unintended consequences. Basically, there's less fresh water getting dumped into this very high salt count and the water can't go anywhere. So mm -hmm. what happens to it? So it evaporates or it goes into the ground, which causes the salinity to naturally increase. And the problem is that the wildlife in this area is not the kind of wildlife that has evolved to exist in these changing circumstances. The Sultan Sea in its current iteration uh, for everybody, everybody playing along at home has only existed for around a century, which is very short term in the lifespan of bodies of water. And in just that amount of time, since it was the only show in town ecologically, it became a huge resource for things like migratory birds, for resident animal populations, including, like our, our pal the pupfish, some endangered species. So because the, because the rest of California was getting developed at such a hectic pace, they were losing wetlands, and the Salton Sea became the replacement. It became the we have wetlands at home. It's like the uh, wish version of a wetland on Etsy. So <laughs> these, these birds in the North American continent need a pit stop, especially if they're migratory. And the Sultan Sea becomes that. Uh, we just don't think it will last very long. It's an unsustainable situation because the, the marine animals are not going to be able to survive that increasing salinity. There's a reason another uh, very briny sea is called the Dead Sea. Yeah, right? Super great for boats. Not super great and for... And floating. Yeah. Not people, super, people like to float. Yeah. Not super great for freshwater fish, though. And uh, this leads us to the next turn in the story, the demise of the Sultan Sea had consequences beyond the water itself. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm preaching to somebody today who is waiting for God to give you your next step. And you don't know what it is yet. You need God to show you your next step. Because, God, I can't stay where I am like I am where it is. This isn't going to work. I, I have to move on, but I don't know where. A lot of time you'll use it as an excuse. Well, I don't know how. I don't know where. I don't know what. God, if you show me. God, if you tell me. God, if no, 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 no. You know enough right now. And if you needed to know more, he would show you. Hey, this is Stephen Furtick. I want to invite you to listen to my podcast, Elevation with Stephen Furtick. I am here to help you for the battles that you face in life, for the times when you feel discouraged, for the times that you need guidance from God. I want to give you the truth of what he says about you to help you rise to your full potential. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As the sea declined... We see things, we see things become increasingly dystopian. The human population that used to be kind of like Novu Rish aspirational middle class, upper middle class tourists, they leave. And the folks who remain there, just like the, the just like the salt that remains in the Salton Sea, it gets weirder and weirder with each passing year. The vibe becomes strange. Right. More and more dystopian. Um, Emma Newberger, writing for CNBC, had this to say. The vision for Salton City was clear, a bustling resort community along the crystal blue waters of the Salton Sea. The city's reality is more grim. Instead of a vacation spot, it feels like a post-apocalyptic ghost town. Most of the homes were demolished or never built. The palm trees are stumps. And the sea, while beautiful, is toxic. Um, and, and, you know, the, the, uh, she actually interviewed um, Frank Ruiz uh, from the Audubon Society. The Audubon Society has a Salton Sea program. Um, and he said people here used to fish, swim, bring their boats. Uh, they went from living in paradise to living in hell. Yeah. And that is not hyperbole. Uh, this also uh, this also affects the surrounding land. Imperial County remains one of the poorest counties in the state of California. And there's a problem with the smell. That's right. Fans ah. are always sunny. Uh, we're doing that Dennis Reynolds joke because it works. We're not going to give you the full quote because we're a family show, but the smell became a huge issue. And it's it's also a teachable moment for our friends in Utah who are worried about the stench of the Great Salt Lake. Uh, it's it's because of the chemical changes. You know, the dust is blowing over the dry lake beds as the salt and sea slowly evaporates and that means you're getting hydrogen sulfide you're you're also getting dangerous stuff like arsenic and selenium and people who live there honestly people who are affected by it um, many families cannot afford to move so they just have to put up with this horrible smell and possible health effects in the long term Right. And, and Ruiz, uh, Frank Ruiz from the Audubon um, said, make, makes the point that we, we see happen all the time with things like this. Uh, if the sea were next to Los Angeles, it would have been fixed long ago, but it's next to poor communities and they don't have the political leverage. Um, there are a lot of Latino families uh, that live in this area and it is just they just don't have the clout uh, and representation um, to do something about it. 
politicians in Los Angeles are concerned more with uh, things directly affecting the residents of Los Angeles. And these folks seem to be uh, up Poop Creek without a paddle. Yeah, yeah. They're uh, they're in the salt without the shaker for sure. And let's go to Robert Shetler, uh, who is a spokesperson for the Imperial Irrigation District or IID. Uh, Shetler says, look, let's stay optimistic. Not all is lost. It is a huge problem. It does need attention yesterday. But we are happy to see that there are more there are indications of positive efforts, like uh, small small scale air quality mitigation plans, uh, trying to reinstitute some vegetation that would help also prevent erosion, help some of that water go to a better use, and this all goes to the big question that people have been asking for decades and decades now and perhaps years in the past when earlier iterations of the sea evaporated, is there a way to save the Salton Sea? Back to our friend uh, from all this interesting, Kiri says, look, people are trying. There's a a 10-year plan that came out uh, pretty recently in 2018 where California's Natural Resource Agency, that's right, folks, there are a lot of like alphabet government agencies working on this, Uh, Our pals at the Natural Resource Agency said, look, over the next decade, we're going to make 30,000 acres of habitat. We're going to suppress this dust that makes everything look so Mad Max on the lakeshore. And then we're going to import new water. No, importing new water, that's, that's that's, that's a dicey one. Well, Ben, didn't this come up in a, a story that we've covered a couple of times on stuff they don't want you to know? The lithium there extraction? Some, that's right. And and they, and they were for a time, I believe, doing just that, like importing. Maybe it wasn't that they were importing water to dilute the salinity, but it was the kind of thing that would maybe work as a quick stopgap measure, but like over a long period of time just isn't tenable, right? The quest for a better Band-Aid, just like the Hoover Dam. At the end of 2020, only 755 acres of dust suppression projects had started. Uh, They originally wanted there to be something like 1,750, and no habitat projects have been started either. So, again, you know, shout out Sam Cook, shout out Ben Sully. A change is going to come. The question is, will the change come in time? Uh, everybody knows California is way behind schedule in any restoration efforts of the Salton Sea, but there are a lot of very good, very smart people working on this. They just have to work through red tape. They have to work through all these stakeholders, all these bureaucracies, and it's increasingly difficult to ask for more water in this part of the world. That's right. And and it's not just water resource management agencies that are getting involved. There are also folks from the state's uh, Energy Commission uh, providing funding to various energy companies to look into lithium alternatives um, in order to grow uh, geothermal uh, development and lithium recovery uh, in order to maybe provide clean energy and uh, create some local jobs there. Yeah, exactly. And we have talked about this on our peer shows, stuff they don't want you to know right now. Companies are dumping billions into what they're calling Lithium Valley. There is a quite ambitious 
vision, similar to that of Penn Phillips all those decades ago, uh, to build a new tech-forward community out in this area, and maybe at some point fix the uh, fix the smell. <laughs> a lot of this is coming from a San Diego-based company called Energy Source Minerals. And, and to your point, Ben, it's sort of like the focus is maybe shifted on things that could potentially be uh, job creating and uh, money making. So the ecological issue is maybe taken a little bit of a back seat, um, but it's not completely out of mind. Ruiz, who we talked about earlier, uh, who is the director of the Audubon Society's uh, Salt and Sea Initiative, had this to say about it. We have a moral obligation to look after the wildlife and communities affected by the Salton Sea. I'd love to see the lake full of water, but it's not feasible. The solution is for communities, water districts, and environmental groups to find common ground and protect it. And oftentimes, this is me, um, com that common ground comes in the forms of, of things that can make money for people and that can be, you know, seen as like the rising tide that perhaps <laughs> raises the, the water level of the Salton Sea. That cannot be in a, uh, a society that is very much reliant on commerce, uh, the number one priority. It has to be just sort of a byproduct of all the other stuff. Yeah, unfortunately, that's where we get to the idea of conflicting interest of so-called stakeholders. There's also another question. Maybe this is where we where we end it now. It's a question for everybody tuning in, everybody who lives at the Salton Sea or is doing the work to try to save this um, quite eccentric body of water. What if we got the origin story wrong? What if the Salton Sea should just be allowed to come and go. There are folks like Mark Oladi who argue that, hey, maybe the sea just happens. Over thousands of years, probably before humans, to be honest, this sea has come and gone. Perhaps it's, its formation and its current iteration was inevitable, and that famous canal breach back in 1905 just sort of moved the timeline. Right. And if that is the case, then should people spend all this time and effort to save a sea that just sort of is an indoor outdoor cat ecologically? It comes and goes. It comes go. and goes. Oh my goodness! I don't think I know. Uh, no, no, it's it's a good question, and like you know, and and is you know sometimes there are uh, byproducts of naturally occurring processes, you know, in uh, in on the planet that maybe shouldn't be messed with, and that once they're messed with, then that can trigger a a new timeline of uh, kind of a domino effect uh, of of negative consequences. So it could be that because of the intervention of human beings uh, in the first place is what triggered a lot of this really nasty fallout. Um, so that does beg the question, like, you know, to, to what this person that you, you quoted Ben is saying, maybe that would be true if it hadn't have been messed with in the first place. But now right. that it has been messed with, it's become a problem that does need some level of addressing or it's just going to get worse. Or that part of the country, they're just going to have to like... <laughs> bulldoze over the whole thing and start from scratch, you know, fill it in with concrete or something. I don't know. Where would, I mean, what would happen? What, what are the alternatives? I mean, it's, it's anybody's game, you know, and look, it sounds like we're 
possibly taking a hit out on the the good people in the Sultan area. Uh, we are absolutely not. Got to tell you, folks, we are not a crew of uh, folks who have spent a lot of time in the desert. So I think it's fair to say when folks like us venture out west, especially to this part of California, all that open space kind of puts the zap on us. It's like when Max met Montana and saw why they call it sky country. Mm-hmm. It's big. The scale is amazing. I remember I remember uh, driving you and the gang out uh, just the Hoover Dam, and we were all somewhat speechless by the the immensity of the of the area. Yeah, I think uh, super producer Paul, Mission Control Decade of Stuff That I Want You To Know, said it almost felt not real, like you were looking at something that was created in a video game or something because of the vastness of it and just the epic, you know, expanse of it all uh, that we're not used to seeing that, you know, unless you live out there. Uh, We're not used to seeing that in real life. We're just kind of used to seeing recreations of it. So it almost feels like you're in sort of an immersive virtual reality kind of situation, which is pretty weird to say, but it's it, it's true. I, I was hit the same way by it, that it had this uncanny valley kind of uh, vibe to it. And there's a beauty to it, you know, and there there's a beauty, there's an ambiguity, there are many questions left to answer about the Sultan Sea. One thing is for sure, the clock is ticking. Perhaps the origin story is ridiculous, but it has also uh, inspired a great deal of human ingenuity, and we can't wait to see what sort of solutions are on the way in the future. We also... We also can't thank you enough for tuning in. And thank you to our super producer and research associate for today's episode, Mr. Max Williams. Uh, Guys, I forgot to tell you, I sent over the holiday, um, by which I mean today before we recorded, I I, I dropped our our old pal Jonathan Strickland a quick line, uh, asked him if he wanted to be on the show, wished him a happy new year. Uh, and maybe he will deign to return. I haven't figured out how to tell him he's got some competition now with the puzzler. Oh, the puzzler. Yeah, I really do think we should like uh, pit them against one another in a in a quiz slash puzzle off. <laughs> uh, yeah, it'll be one for the ages. But, you know, we can't thank you enough for tuning in, but we surely will try. Uh, and we also like to thank everyone else that makes this show possible, of course, including uh, Max Williams, super producer slash research associate, Alex Williams, who composed this theme, uh, Chris Frasiotis uh, here in spirit, and Eve's Jeff Coates, wandering the, the wide world of podcasts. I'd like to thank Tom Waits. Uh, Sultan C feels like his vibe. Oh, yeah. Uh, he was going to go on the show with us, uh, but he only accepts payment in rusted 1957 Chevy parts. That's true. Which yeah. we, we didn't have handy. But Tom, if you're hearing, uh, we hope you enjoyed this one as well. Uh, I don't think Sha- Tom listens to the show. He only listens to stuff on like a, a, an old Victrola. <laughs> right, right, and he and he has to have a busted, uh, busted couple tubes uh, that he can scatter around just so. Uh, please tune in later this week. We are going to explore a complex, strange phenomenon of yesteryear. You may have asked yourselves, folks, "Hey, why do so many pictures of historical figures in childhood? Why do they seem to be wearing dot dot dot?" dresses and or short pants <laughs> what is the little lord Fauntleroy look <laughs> the buster brown oh, the buster brown <laughs> we'll get to it on the next episode of ridiculous history we'll see you next time folks
For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Imagine you ask two people the same seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including Courtney Cox, Rob Delaney, Liz Fair, and many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. From iHeart Podcasts. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. A story about money, power, and corruption. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. I'm Paul Pringle, an investigative reporter for the L.A. Times. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast, and I had the opportunity to talk to one of Hollywood's major icons, Michael B. Jordan. In our conversation, Michael shares the highs, the lows, and everything in between, offering a genuine glimpse into his world. The closest to getting what you want is always the hardest. People give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 